May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you happen to go into a grocery store or a drugstore this past Monday, you certainly ran into the phenomenon that is the day after Easter candy sale. Peeps, chocolate bunnies, malted milk eggs, which for the record are the best, and I don't understand why they're not available all year. But all of them can be had at deep discounted prices. Because on the Monday after Easter, Easter is over. Which is a problem. It's a problem for our Orthodox brothers and sisters who are celebrating Easter today, because Orthodox Easter is always a week after Western Easter. But actually, it's a problem for all of us as Christians, those who follow the Christian calendar in addition to the secular one. Because Easter is not a day, it's a season. It's a season that stretches from Easter Sunday all the way through Pentecost, 50 days. Which means that Easter is longer than Lent. As one of my seminary professors liked to note, The feast of Easter is longer than the fast of Lent. (laughs) Easter is a season, and it is a long one. And even if we're not used to thinking of it that way, it's important for us to remember that. Not just because it determines what color stole I'm wearing or what colors we use on the altar. It's important for us that we observe Easter as a whole season Because it reminds us that we are living in an Easter world. The fact that we celebrate Easter from last Sunday until Pentecost, which will be June 9th this year, that fact reminds us that we live all of our life in a world in which Jesus has risen from the dead. We still await the life that will come when Jesus returns and brings his kingdom to its fulfillment But the reality of the resurrection permeates, or should permeate, everything about the way that we live our life. We are an Easter people, even if we don't always know what that means. And if we don't always know what it means to be an Easter people, then we're in pretty good company, actually. Because neither did the earliest Christians. The book of Acts tells us the stories of some of the earliest Christians there were. The big names, like Peter and Paul and Barnabas, but also stories of the sort of small and nameless folks. And what we find throughout these stories in the book of Acts is people discovering what it means to live in this new reality that began with the resurrection of Jesus. As they follow and respond to God's actions, the people in Acts discover what it means to be an Easter people. Which is why it's fitting that the lectionary, which is our schedule of readings for each Sunday of the year, it's fitting that the lectionary always includes readings from Acts during the Easter season. So through these next seven weeks, from now through Pentecost, we'll be focusing on the Acts readings and trying to see what it means to live as an Easter people. 
And specifically, we'll be thinking about what it means to live as witnesses of the risen Christ. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he charged his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you might remember that our Lent sermon series, we reflected on what it means to love and serve God as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Because being Jesus' witnesses is part of what it means to be an Easter people. Matthew Skinner, who's a New Testament scholar at Luther Seminary in Minnesota, he's written about this aspect of our Easter readings in Acts. And his thinking on this has shaped my own thinking about these texts. And Skinner writes that these Easter, these Acts passages for Easter, they prompt us to ask To what are we bearing witness as people who believe that death and the powers of this world do not have the last word? What kind of testimony do we give as people whose encounters with a living Christ make us reject the cynical assumption that nothing will ever change? These are some of the questions that we'll be asking as we walk through these stories from Acts over the next month and a half. Because as Easter people, we believe that Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And we want our lives, our words, and our actions to witness to, to testify to this reality. So we start today by looking at chapter 5 from Acts. You may want to turn there in your worship guide. This is a great story about the way that Peter and the other apostles witness to the life-transforming reality of the risen Christ. So we pick up in verse 12, and Luke, who wrote Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke, Luke says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So what we have here, not too long after Jesus ascended into heaven and then sent the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, we have his apostles going about through Jerusalem, and they are laying hands on people, and people are being healed, they are being delivered, amazing things are happening. It even goes on to to say that people would, would bring out their sick loved ones in hopes that just Peter's shadow as he passed by would heal them. It wasn't just superstition and it wasn't magic, but that is how the Holy Spirit was working in that time. And it's important to note where this was happening. In Jerusalem, generally, but specifically in Solomon's portico, which is part of the temple. So people are coming from throughout the city and even from beyond into Jerusalem, into the temple, to come and see the apostles and have them heal them. And in verse 13, Luke writes, the people held them in high esteem. The people here are the crowds. They're the normal, everyday people, the people who are 
poor, the people who are sick, the people who are on the margins, the people, the vast crowds are the ones who held these apostles in high esteem. They believed what the the apostles were saying about the risen Christ. The people held the apostles in high esteem. The religious leaders, not so much. In verse 17, Luke writes, The high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. The people welcomed the witness of the disciples. They welcomed the demonstration of the power of the resurrected Christ. The people welcomed it. The leaders feared it. And they wanted to quash the witness of the apostles. And so they put them in prison. But it turns out that their witness will not be quashed. Because in the middle of the night, by some miraculous means, the angel lets them out of prison and says, go back to the temple to teach. The angel says, speak to the people all the words of this life. It's important, I think, to note that the angel sends the apostles back to the temple and says they are sent to the people not to the religious leaders. Not that the words of life aren't words of life for the religious leaders too, but God is insistent that the leader's resistance to the words of life not prevent the people from hearing them. God wants to be sure that the people hear the good news and the power of the resurrection. And it's also important to note, I think, that God is the one who is behind this. Peter and the others don't break out of prison. They are set free by the angel. They don't go into prison shouting, we'll be back. It's God who miraculously moves to restore them and restore their witness. So having been set free by the power of God, they go back to the temple and they begin to teach. They're not trying to escape arrest again. They're not trying to hide out and they're not trying to be defiant for the sake of being defiant. They are just being faithful witnesses to the resurrection life of Christ and to the charge and the call that they have been given to share this life with others. That leads to a funny scene that begins in verse 25 when the chief priests and the council of the Jews come and they can't find the apostles. They go to the prison to see them and they're not there. And the prison guards can't figure out where they are because the doors aren't open and you know the guards are still there, but somehow they've just disappeared. And then in verse 25, you have one of them saying, look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. And here we see a really interesting shift happen. The leaders, the council, the chief priests and elders, they go from being 
jealous, like they were before, to being afraid. They bring the apostles before the council, and in, Luke, in verse 26 it says, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. They know that the people love what the apostles are saying and doing, and they are afraid of what the people will do if they use force on the apostles. So the apostles are brought forth before the council, and they said, hey, you were here last time. This happened just a chapter or so before. And we told you not to teach in this name. They don't even want to say Jesus' name. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Do you hear what they're saying? They are saying that they are afraid that the apostles are going to turn the crowds against them and that the crowds will begin to fault the leaders for Jesus' death and will exact vengeance for their role in Jesus' death. And Here we get to a really crucial element, not just of this story, but more broadly of what it means to be a witness of the risen Christ. Verses 29 through 32. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter isn't being shy about the council's role in Jesus' death. But he is also not proclaiming judgment or vengeance. He's not shaming them, and he's not threatening them. What he's saying is God exalted Jesus to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. So even now, even when they have been hauled before the council, even when the apostles are being threatened and warned, even then, Peter is inviting the council, inviting those religious leaders to repent and to be forgiven. Commentator Brian Peterson says this, The gracious surprise of this text is that the result of Jesus' resurrection, even in the face of continuing posturing and self-protective threat, is not vengeance, but mercy. Part of what it means for Peter and for the apostles to be witnesses of the risen Christ is that they are witnesses of And they are people who offer God's tremendous mercy. So what do we take from this as Easter people here today? What can we learn from this text about what it means for us to be Jesus' witnesses here in Northern Virginia in 2019? First, I think it means that we should be aware of of who is welcoming our testimony as good news 
and who is not? Are the people welcoming our witness, or are the powerful? Again, it's not that we don't want the powerful to hear and to receive the gospel. That was part of Peter's testimony before the council. But the gospel of the kingdom of God is one that always upsets humanity's notions of power and position and the way things work. The last shall be first and the first shall be last, Jesus was fond of saying. So while the gospel is good news for everyone, it's most likely to be heard as good news by the people by those who are on the margins, by those who are without power, who are vulnerable. Beth Moore, the Bible teacher many of you may be familiar with, has written this. She said, when the gospel has become bad news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the brokenhearted and imprisoned, and good news to the proud, self-righteous, and privileged instead, It is no longer the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is hearing our witness of the gospel as good news? Justo Gonzalez, another commentator, great scholar, has written, Christians better than anyone else should be more acutely aware that it is is a custom of the human race, sinful as it is, to use supposedly legal systems to silence those who, like Peter and John, say things that the powerful do not like. And this should help us resist the fallacy that confuses the will of the powerful with the will of God. Who is welcoming our testimony as good news? That is one of the things that we should be aware of. And second, I think part of what it means to be witnesses of the risen Christ is that we should expect that our witness will prompt resistance. Now, it shouldn't prompt resistance because we're being antagonistic or because we're being obnoxious or arrogant. Peter and the apostles were far from that. But we can expect to experience resistance to our witness just because authentic witness to the gospel of the kingdom of God always prompts resistance from those who feel most threatened by the upside-down values of God's kingdom. So we should expect resistance. We should be prepared for it. But we should not take it personally, nor should we take it as a sign that our witness is being ineffective. Quite the opposite, in fact. And finally, I think the most important thing, perhaps, that we can learn about what it means to be faithful witnesses of the risen Christ is that our witness, our testimony about what God has done in us and what he offers to others, that witness should fundamentally be not about God's judgment, but about God's mercy. Just as Peter and the apostles did to the chief priests and to the council, to those who were most opposed to them and to the power of the gospel, they preached mercy. Being witnesses of Christ isn't about telling people how they're wrong. It isn't about pointing out their sinfulness. And it isn't about insisting that we are right. 
Being witnesses of the risen Christ is about inviting people into the boundless mercy of God. Because it's only in light of that mercy and that love that any of us can face our sin and acknowledge it and confess it. So when we are inviting people into the kingdom of God, we do it by inviting them with mercy and grace and love. We saw an incredible picture of what it means to be a witness of the risen Christ in Sri Lanka this week after the terrible bombings there last Sunday. I saw an interview with uh, Reverend Roshan Mahasan, who is the pastor, the senior pastor of Zion Church Batakuloa in Sri Lanka, one of the churches that was bombed. 28 members of his church were killed and more than 70 were injured. And he said this, he said, we are hurt, we are angry also, but still we say to the suicide bomber and also to the group that sent this suicide bomber that we love you, that we forgive you. No matter what you have done to us, we love you because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We also, who follow the footsteps of Jesus Christ, we say, the Lord forgive these people. Now, I hope and pray that none of us ever has an occasion like this, where we have to witness in this way to the mercy and grace of our God. But if we do, may God give us that power. But every day, each of us has an opportunity in some way to offer mercy and grace and forgiveness to someone who has hurt us or harmed us or wronged us. Every day, we have the opportunity to share the love and the mercy and grace of God. And we can do that not by our own power, We can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is also a witness to the risen Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that is the power that allows us to offer this kind of witness of mercy and forgiveness and love. So as we walk through this Easter season, May the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, may he make us faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Amen.